Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Right position, the key to a good speech. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1402, entitled, with what may be the longest title we've ever had on Zero G, let's think the unthinkable, let's do the undoable, let us prepare to grapple with the ineffable itself and see if we may not F it after all. (laughs) Uh, Our podcast title is Dirk Gently, P.I., Podistic Investigator. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Well, this one is a little bit of an unknown one for me, although I've actually read the two books that it's based on. Ah. I've never seen the series, but Megan... And her dad have. <laughs> Indeed. We're opposite this this show, Rob. I've not read the books, but I have seen the show. So, yes, we are going to cover Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Now, this is the series that is currently streaming on Netflix. And the source material, as you mentioned, is a couple of novels by Douglas Adams, the first of which was released in 1987. And that was called Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And the sequel was called The Long Dark Tea Time. Time of the Soul. Award for best titles ever does go to Douglas Adams, I would think, with no competition there. So this TV series, it has two seasons only. Sadly, it was cancelled after the second season. So the first season is eight episodes and the second season is 10 episodes. Now, this is a bit of an older show that I stumbled across because as you alluded, Rob, I'd help set up Netflix for my dear old dad, I was showing him how to browse the titles and this one caught the eye. And so I didn't realize it wasn't a new series, nor did I realize it wasn't a Netflix original, which it is not, but we added it and we got started. And then it is quite easy to just keep on going on that train and watch the whole thing now. So this one is created and mostly written by Max Landis. Now, Max Landis is, of course, the son of John Landis. He of the Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, the Thriller music video, which redefined music videos, and National Lampoon's Animal House. So that's John Landis. And now Max Landis, he wrote these very interesting found footage superhero film chronicle which you might recall, and also Bright, which I didn't see but I believe is also kind of a superhero-y thing, dark superhero, what-if kind of vibe. It's like the boys only if it was just one boy. (laughs) The boy, yes, exactly. I will just drop a mention here. We're not going to go too much into it or focus on it, but Landis Max has been accused by several women of sexual offences. I don't want to go into that, but enough is known that I think it is worth mentioning. I don't want to brush that under the rug. It's since come out and that's why he's not been doing very much lately because of these allegations. So moving on from that, 
He did work on this show, Dirk Gently, several years ago. So the first season of Dirk Gently came out in 2016 and 2017 was season two and the said allegations came out in 2017. So the show was cancelled, but also a bunch of other stuff happened at that time as well. The show did amass a large dedicated fan base, but is likely to only remain at the two seasons because of the generally low ratings at the time. And that was why it was cancelled. It had never really got up and got going, unfortunately, because it was a broadcast as well. So it wasn't a streaming show, but it never really quite picked up steam, unfortunately, despite fans wanting a season three. I would point out that it's the second television adaptation of these novels, Mm -hmm. and also there was a pretty well-received BBC4, inevitably, Mm -hmm. audio drama, and even a comic book as well. And I remember the genesis of this series because Douglas Adams, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but he was also a story editor for Doctor Who. Ah, yes. And this meant that there was a couple of Doctor Who stories that he wrote Charter and City of Death, and there were elements in those that he rolled over into the Dirk Gently series. But we proceed on. Yes. So, Rob, you've stolen my lead. I was just about to say, for me, I went in knowing very little about this, but you're spot on. The show is set in the US and it has a strong American influence, but it was really giving me very strong BBC vibes and supernatural vibes, and it felt very British in style. And that's not just because, like, Dirk Gently in the show is British. And then as I dug more into it, did reveal, as you say, that Adams did work on Doctor Who. And he used the inspiration of working on that show to write the novel, Dirk Gently, reuse some of the ideas and so on. But in addition to that, the show is actually, it's a BBC America production. So BBC is involved, which is why it's giving BBC energy. BBC America is kind of a combo between BBC and the US network AMC. So AMC had shows like Breaking Bad and so on. BBC America is home to other shows that we know and love like Orphan Black and Killing Eve. So this is a BBC America production and it's definitely got very strong Doctor Who energy. Its genes are very much of the Doctor Who type. (laughs) As well as its DNA being very much Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and also a bit Terry Pratchett, I feel, in the books at least. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me, and this is an excellent time to point out, I think, is from what I gather, it's very, very different to the books. We'll get into that a little bit more, but I was interested to find out that, yeah, it was feeling British, it was feeling very Doctor Who and BBC, and there was a very, very good reason for that. But you can find it on Netflix. That's the distributor outside of the US, and so it's available on there now. You can watch both seasons. Before we talk a little bit more about the plot and characters, maybe we'll just take a tune. So I did want to play the Dirk Gently main theme. So the score for the show is composed by Juan Cristobal Tapia de Villa. He is a Chilean-born composer who lives in Canada. He lives in Quebec, and he scored some really wonderful stuff. So he worked on the TV series Utopia, not the one we might know in Australia, (laughs) but the one that's the messed-up conspiracy theory series that we did cover on Zero Gene is pretty heavy and quite exceptional. So he did the score for that, and he also did a couple of episodes of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. He did an episode of Black Mirror in Season 4, the one called Black Museum. 
And he's also scored the Island Resort mystery comedy, The White Lotus, which is also on Netflix. So I wanted to hear a bit of that main theme from Dirk Gently to get us in the mood before we dissect further into the show. So here we go. Hello, this is Peter Davison. I played the Fifth Doctor. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Interesting. This thing is small on the inside than it is on the outside. Sorry, mustache. That was, of course, the theme from Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which we are talking about today here on Zero G. It's available on Netflix, a couple of years old now, but the two seasons are available on there to stream. And we heard that scored piece by Juan Cristobal Tapia de Villa. All right, so let's dig a little bit into the show. So Douglas Adams, who wrote the source material, is, of course, an English author. Now, this show is very, very American, so it's very much its own thing. So, Dirk Gently, the character, remains English, but the show is set in the U.S. Now, it's set in Seattle for the first season and then a fictional town in Montana for the second season. And it also introduces, I assume, a character of Todd, who becomes Dirk Gently's assistant, and he's American, and Todd is in the form of Elijah Wood. So Elijah is someone we all know and love and have seen before in many things, not least the Lord of the Rings and so forth, where he plays a hobbit. So the show does revolve around Adams's core concept of a holistic detective. So that's someone who solves, and I think it's Dirk himself really, uh, who solves cases based on luck, intuition, and the movements of the universe. And the universe just delivers things to him and takes him on like a wave of happenstance, but he always manages to pass by and pass through and meet the people that he needs to meet and do the things he needs to do. So despite that that core element is the same, uh, the characters and plot feel very contemporary and very American. So enough so that I can tell the show must be different to the book, even without reading them, because it just, I I was like, this could not possibly be (laughs) from the page of an English author who wrote this in the eighties. It's just far too different. So I think what's happened is they've taken the idea and then done their own spin while retaining Dirk Gently's character. This is interesting. Adams uses tropes in the books that are very much gumshoe PI sort of tropes. Mm, mm. So if you translate it into the American original idiom, then it's going back. Yeah. And I think the other idea too is a core part of it is this idea of everything is connected and it's all about the interconnected nature of the universe and how, you know, it's not really coincidence. It's just the movements of the universe moving the way they want to to work. So yes, having laid out the groundwork that this is its own thing, quite different to the source material, what is the show then? <laughs> so the tone is quirky. It's pretty odd and it's all quite over the top. So I think the characters and plots, as I mentioned, are new. So the show's kind of concocted its own mystery and its own characters with their own motivations. So there's no Electric Monk. There's no Samuel Taylor Coleridge or Norse mythology. None of that means anything to me, but these are all things that I was told to expect in the book. No Electric Monk? No. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this is, I think, hopefully you're getting the sense if you're a big fan of the book and want to see a faithful adaptation, this is not that. And you need to go into it, you know, just with no expectations. It's something completely different and it's its own thing. So it does 
feel the energy of the show is oddball and it feels a bit B-movie in some ways, like pulpy I've heard it described as, which I think is a fairly good way of putting it. Like some elements of the design and the sets and costumes are deliberately kind of lo-fi and the ridiculousness is all well-baked in. So it's intentional. So it's it's meant to be making you kind of go, what? Sometimes that's kind of the the onus of the show. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. That reminds me of the of the adaptation of The Watch. Oh, that they did. another yeah, BBC America so, show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I definitely think they're trying, they're falling into this camp that's, yeah, this kind of out there supernatural driven by one core character. Although what I would say is similar to Doctor Who, um, it does end up becoming more of a little ensemble in some way. While Dirk is the core central character and he's very clearly a, a Who-esque fellow, we do start to gather and um, form a little group that is central to the story that we can move along with and we start creating a bit of an ensemble. So start of season one, we do meet one of these heroes, eventual heroes before he is a hero. And it's the no hope of protagonist Todd that I mentioned before played by Elijah Wood. And he is a bellhop at a very fancy hotel, but his regular life of just, you know, going about his business is interrupted as he unwittingly comes across a crime scene. And then he does, of course, become more and more embroiled in this supernatural mystery when Dirk gently shows up and enters his life with lots of mysterious comments and Todd can't quite seem to shake Dirk gently. And so we start to build the relationship between them and kind of collect this series of weird, zany characters as the story kind of rolls forward. So it's very Doctor Who, isn't it? Mm. Companion meets the Doctor, run for your life, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. Exactly. Like when there's definitely it's using the same skeleton and then building different flesh on top. That's a de- horrible metaphor, but it's it's certainly got the same core construct. As I mentioned before, Dirk is the holistic detective who solves these cases by happenstance as he finds clues that just kind of come to him. We do get these different characters and plot lines that pop their heads up and start becoming part of the core story. So these include things like a secret CIA agency, a holistic assassin who's kind of a counterpart to Dirk. She's kind of this rough character who just kind of goes along, similar to Dirk, just letting the universe take its uh, actions on her, but she's a much more sinister character. Not to say that there's not shades of comedy because this whole thing is definitely a comedic endeavor. We've also got a street smart head of security who's been pulled into the mess as she's core to the the victim's life, I suppose you could say. And so she gets pulled in and becomes quite integral. We've got a group of rowdy spirit vampires that go by the moniker, the rowdy three, and then throw in a couple of animals as well. We've got a strangely persistent corgi, a little black kitten, <laughs> Yeah, all kinds of different MacGuffins and then not-so-MacGuffins. Very colourful characters, I think, is what you would probably say. Yeah, you just end up with this wacky, zigzagging season that sometimes makes sense and then other times there's plot holes, but it kind of gets away with it because everything's moving so quickly. And this first season, at least, is very Seattle-based and, like, the music scene in Seattle is a bit of a theme as well. Is it kind of... 
crime of the week or are they following a narrative? Definite narrative. There is one mystery over the course of season one and then there's another whole mystery over the course of season two. So season one's mystery is wrapped by the last episode, the eighth episode in that season. And then, of course, we get a bit of a cliffhanger and then we head into a new plot line, location. We add in new characters. We beef up some storylines. We diminish some storylines, that kind of thing. So it's definitely not Monster of the Week. It is much more a full narrative, which is interesting, which I also think is why it lent itself to binge watching because you really just have to keep going because they're dropping these weird breadcrumbs for the first season at least and you really want to figure out exactly what's going on. And the more the picture comes into view, you just kind of want to see how they wrap it up. So, yeah, definitely one full narrative there. So overall, and I would be curious to read the book because I, I really do get the sense it's just a totally different. I wonder if there is anything that it has retained besides the idea of the detective and besides the idea of the universe doing what it does. We might roll over into a little bit of Journey of the Sorcerer, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm-hmm. theme, mm-hmm. you know, done by the Eagles. So, you know, it just sort of flows through naturally from that. Journey of the Sorcerer, originally ventured upon by the Eagles back in 1975, now even more famous by being inextricably linked to the wholly remarkable Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mark Ayres interpreting it on the compilation cover album The Cult Files Reopened, Volume 1. H2, a G2 referenced here today on Zero G on account of us, Rob Jan and Megan McHugh, chatting about the television series. Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, also based upon work by Douglas Adams. The two seasons of Dirk can be found streaming on Netflix and are also available on DVD. Overall, I think the cast is fantastic. I think Samuel Barnett plays Dirk Gently. He's very likeable. He's enthusiastic. He's dry, but he's mostly just kind of this open-eyed character that just kind of rolls along and is pretty fun to be around, but you can sense there's maybe something under the surface. I think Barnett's very good at giving some further hints, which is sad to see not come to fruition, to be honest. We saw him in Penny Dreadful playing Renfield. Oh, he'd be a good Renfield. He's yeah, he's fantastic, and I think a lot of the show does hinge on the re- on the relationship and chemistry between him and Elijah Wood, which is solid. And I think they're you know they're playing off each other. Like Todd's kind of this ah oh, un- unwilling participant in the beginning, but then obviously becomes very you know. But they form a friendship and it it kind of has this whole storyline around that. So I think those two together, fantastic. And then they trot out some heavy hitters in season two to join the cast. So we get a bit of Alan Tudyk, which I was surprised to see him pop up. Always happy to see him. Obviously, that's Wash from Firefly and Serenity. He was in Resident Alien. He pops up as a character who, I mean, is a bit of a thankless one, but I think he was having a bit of fun with it. Todd has a sister called Amanda. She gets a bigger and bigger role as well. And then um, Farrah is kind of the head of security that I mentioned earlier, and she becomes kind of part of, they become a little trio, her, Todd, um, and Dirk. And they have a really nice energy as well. So I think, you know, some of those elements are there. The character elements and the chemistry between the actors is definitely there. 
Wood, Elijah Wood is having a great time just playing this like wide-eyed kind of 30-something who has just stumbled into some bigger thing, some bigger universe plan. It's nice that he can do some brave things even though he plays the hapless everyman. And there's twists and action. It is fairly predictable, but it is still fun to watch it unfold in season one. So what I will say, I enjoyed season one quite a lot but the shine had worn off by season two a little. And then season two did lag for me a bit in the middle. So, you know, the kind of refrain of everything is connected started to feel a bit tired instead of revelatory. And the setting and mystery of season two didn't really appeal to me. There's a fictional world that they introduce called Wendemore, and it's like this lo-fi fantasy realm, and a bunch of the action starts to take place there in the latter half of season two, and I just started to get quite fatigued with that as a setting. I much preferred the city steampunk Seattle setting of season one, kind of rough underbelly, weird misfits. That appealed to me way more than this small town and then mixed with this fantasy world idea in season two, unfortunately. How does John Hanna play as the uh, the mage, the, the wizard in season two? Good question. He's great. I think the role is pretty thin. So I've always liked him as an actor, mostly from Sliding Doors, which is not what he's known for. Um, but no. <laughs> he, he, it's, he's an over-the-top character. He is playing one of the main antagonists in that season. But there's a whole lot going on. There's so much going on in season two that I would have liked to see him have more to do. Very same thing as Alan Tudyk. I think both of those guys were maybe a little bit wasted, unfortunately. There's a whole lot more set pieces and ideas that they bring into season two. It becomes this whole other show with the same core characters. And I was also looking at some of the other cast in that Richard Schiff from the West Wing, uh, you know, Toby Ziegler, Michael Eklund, who's been in every fantasy show as sort of a villain, or, you know, he's from Arrow and also Winona Earp. So, you know, kind of similar shows in some of those. And Osric Chow playing a guy called Vogel. Yeah. And he's from the Arrowverse, but I know him from... Um, Supernatural, where he plays Kevin. Yeah, they <laughs> they do beef up his role too. So he originally had a smaller role in season one, and he has a little bit more to do in season two. He, a bit similar to Stranger Things in a way, where there's a couple of different factions doing things, and then um, you gradually they start to overlap, intermix, and they all come together by the end. But you're right, there's a lot of great actors in here. It's very over the top characters too. So like, I'm sure there's like a lot of fun was had with this kind of premise and story. But I do think maybe there just became too much in season two and a lot of what I liked about season one just wasn't there anymore because the story was totally different. Yeah, it just got a bit busy possibly and didn't have the same payoff as season one. Was it the detective angle that got you to watch it? Was that of, of, yes, of course. I was, And I, I think insofar as... A, a PI procedural. It's not really, because, you know, he is a detective, but it's not really the same when the whole premise of it is the clues come to you. Like part of what I like about detective stuff is when they seek out things or they cleverly figure out and that kind of thing or, or doing, you know, interrogate or what have you. Whereas this kind of is his detective style is he just goes about his business and things happen. It was kind of cool when he starts to figure things out. I kind of was expecting something a little bit Doctor Who, to be honest. So it did meet that need. And I think then I just was engrossed enough to keep watching it because it is fun, right? Like I wasn't held back by 
knowing too much about the source material. So that didn't bog me down in my expectation from all accounts. Comparison does the show a disservice. So like I said before, view it as something fresh. And if you're particularly enamored with the book, maybe just go in with caution because you'll be a bit like, what is this? This is nothing like the book, which I think it knows. Hi, I'm Lindsay Morgan. And I'm Reg Morgan. Uh, no, we're actually Colin and Cameron Cairns, writers, directors of 100 Bloody Acres, and you're listening to Zero G. They're not psycho killers. They're just community radio broadcasters. Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> How does this stack up as a an entry in the, well, basically, let's call it the paranormal occult detective genre, you know, with mm. like uh, the Dresden file. It's a decent entry. I'd say that for me it's, is there anything new it's bringing to the table? I mean, yes, in a way, because, yes, it's supernatural cases, but it's one supernatural case for one season. In some ways I would like it if it was a Monster of the Week style. That might engage me more. And like I said before, like as a detective procedural, it isn't really that. But I would say it is enjoyable, and I think that goes a long way was interesting seeing that done in an American context. Like I'm sure there are shows, but I'm used to seeing that style in a British context. So that was interesting. See, sometimes this works. Like the attempt at doing Red Dwarf in the US just failed miserably Mm. and the office worked well, Mm. but, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the adaptation of The Watch, although I kind of got along with that. I thought that was a, a good creature in itself. And the Foundation series, well, that's not actually a British one, but th- that's a, an adaptation of an American science fiction mm. book, and that was awful. <laughs> started well, but it was it was just went down here. Terrible adaptation, yeah. You know, I mean, this one sounds like it's actually got some gum on its shoes, basically, <laughs> as a, an adaptation. Yeah, I think that it does have some charm to it, and I think that's what kept me. Well, I was going to say pressing play, but on Netflix, that's what stopped. Like, I didn't stop it. (laughs) I just let it play. Yeah, and I think a lot of that charm comes from uh, the acting and the first season has enough in question that you are willing to go along with the story. It's interesting, like, why they wouldn't just make something that wasn't attached to the Dirk Gently existing canon. Like, surely you could do something that's like a, a mystical supernatural thing mysteries set in the US and not link it to dirt generally because what I'm so, curious about so how that... many supernatural procedural shows on American television you know there are dozens and dozens of yeah so... I guess that's the difference is this isn't like a ghost whisperer or even a supernatural it's much more like a you know the Doctor Who episodes that span over a couple but like instead of a couple it's it's eight <laughs> episodes Sorry, how many episodes did they do in all? So 18. So eight in the first season, 10 in the second season. Maybe that's why two. Season two was maybe bloated because it was a bit more, it was a bit longer. So we get to that zero G question of, yeah, nah, maybe. Is it worth our time? I'd say, yeah, season one is. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's a maybe if you're a big Adams fan and, like, you know, you want to see it faithfully adapted because it is not, uh, I'd say it's a maybe for you because then, you know, you just need to go in with your eyes open. But I'd say it's a yeah, definitely enjoyed. And does it land at a place where it's not a cliffhanger in that last season? Yes, but you can tell they were hoping for more in that what kind of bothered me is season one, I liked how that ended and I felt hopeful. And then it just seemed like season two wanted to put them back a couple of steps and make them struggle again. 
Whereas I really wanted to see, okay, let's move on. Let's do the detective agency thing. And then end of season two, they were like, cool. Yay. Let's go. And then there's no more. Let's go. But they did wrap up everything. If that's what you mean. So the actual story plot was wrapped up. So you're not going to be left hanging, but you might be left wanting more if you did particularly enjoy it. Okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah. So that is the, my verbose rundown of Dirk Gently's De- Holistic Detective Agency. And that one is available on Netflix. You can see both seasons there. Uh, what I thought we might do is go out with a track that was played in the last episode of season one. So this is a track called St. Claude and it's by Christine and the Queens. Uh, This is the French version because the French version is what they played in the show. So I thought that might be nice um, to play a little bit of the music from end of season one, which was for me, I felt great after the end of season one of, uh, yeah, Dirk Gently. Hello, this is Paul McGann, the I in Withnell and I. And I wouldn't listen to Zero G on 3 R FM without serious medication. That was St. Claude, the French version by Christine and the Queens. And we played that because we just wrapped up talking about Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, um, which was overall a year. Hmm. And now from that, we move into the Melbourne International Film Festival. Yes. 70, 70. (laughs) (laughs) We've been picking the genre entrails out of its carcass since the 1990s. And here we go again Mm. with a... Promise, at least, of an actual cinematic I know. <laughs> progression. Oh, it'll be in the uh, cinema August 4th to 21 <laughs> and or online from the 11th to the 28th of August. So nice. a, a bet each way. I think that's a very wise <laughs> progression there. Now, I had a look at a preliminary release of the various films, and I just picked out a few mm-hmm. ahead of time to let you know about. And of course, the main program is out online, mm-hmm. and there's, I believe, a paper copy as well. I love the paper copy myself. Yes. Yeah, I can work with both. <laughs> you know, you've got to get your text to color and put around the highlight circles. Yeah, yep. yeah. All right. So these are just some quick looks at it. Dual, D U A. L, Duel, a science fiction comedy shot in Finland and directed by US American director Riley Stearns, former husband of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, (laughs) who starred in his film Faults back in 2014. He also wrote and directed The Art of Self-Defense in 2019. Mm -hmm. He's been a Cartoon Network show writer, a writer on the Bionic Woman television series, the 21st century one with Michelle Ryan. Mm -hmm. And Duel is a bit of a geek actor spotter as a film. Doctor Who companion Amy Pond, player of the MCU Cyborg Nebula, and Jumanji co-star Karen Gillan plays the terminally ill Sarah, who opts to have herself cloned in a Black Mirror-style attempt to spare her loved ones the complete trauma and loss that her death would otherwise be. That's an interesting wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And Karen gets the actors feast of playing Prime Sarah and Sarah Double. Mm-hmm. The duel in the title is a neat pun on cloning, as well as the showdown that original and photocopy characters must inevitably, in this story at least, engage in mm-hmm. live on television, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Karen's carving a, a niche for herself in action roles, along with those others we mentioned. Uh, there's Gunpowder Milkshake, which I really must catch up with. Mm-hmm. And speaking of action, Aaron Paul, oh. a.k.a. 
Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yes. Plays Sarah's self-defense personal trainer, Trent. Cool. He's a bit of a wacky sensei, apparently, in this. We, we also have on hand Theo James, a genre-staple British actor previously seen as four mm-hmm. in the Divergent films, yep. and as David, a vampire hybrid in two of the seemingly immortal Underworld franchise movies. And he's in the, the new uh, TV series of The Time Traveler's Wife as well. Hmm. And he's one of the protagonists in a fairly discountable apocalyptic actioner called How It Ends, which I have seen. And that is a duel. So keep an eye out for that in the MIF, a 70 program. Now, I'm really eager to see groundbreaking Iranian vampire Western director Anna Lily Armapour's latest fantasy horror offering. So you'll have seen A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Mm -hmm. And this is called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Ooh. Now, Amapur went on to direct the Bad Batch in 2016, which was nothing at all to do with wonky Star Wars clones and everything to do with Jason Momoa, Jim Carrey, and Keanu Reeves starring in that didn't. post-apocalyptic wasteland cannibal love story set in Texas. I didn't realise that was her. Okay, cool. Yeah. The Iranian-American director serves up the tale of a telekinetic mind-bender, mm-hmm. a superhero-slash-I-suppose villain, loose on the humid streets of New Orleans. Now, that's a favourite location for this kind of thing. Oh. Uh, South Korean actress Jong Jong Seo plays the TK-empowered character. You may have seen her in her breakout role in Lee Chang-dong's highly regarded 2018 psychological mystery film, Burning. Ah. Yeah. Makes a lot of best Korean films of all time lists and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. Also present is Craig Robinson from the US version of The Office, mm-hmm. Hot Tub Time Machine and The Cleveland Show, but I know him best as Doug the Pontiac Bandit Judy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> This is the kind of film where I get to say, and Kate Hudson plays an exploitative stripper. (laughs) I can just pass that without comment. (laughs) You don't know her? No. (laughs) I do know Kate. Of course I know Kate Hudson. But she's not a genre gal, really. No, but she is the daughter of uh, genre people like Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. So, you know. And we are continuing with our little mini-myth, that is to say, a quick look at some of the titles of this year's Melbourne International Film Festival, now in its 70th edition, kicking off in August. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R. Now, a great deal less zesty in the horror vein is Christian Taftrup's Scandi Horror Speak No Evil. It's a tale of a horror day in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. You know, the drill and the pliers and the bolt cutters. Mm -hmm. A couple finds another family pleasant travel buddies while on vacation in Tuscany. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And months later, they accept an invitation to catch up with their new friends again in their home. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. In their isolated rural home. Of course. Of course. When no one can hear you scream. (laughs) 
Taftrup is an actor and director known for Awakening, Parents, and A Horrible Woman, which you can all munch together in one title and it never still makes sense. His films are full of twists and often involve ordinary family units plunged into unsettlingly extraordinary circumstances. Okay. I'm told this one is something special as a horror film goes. So oh, okay. If you dare to go and see this particular film. What was that one again? Speak No Evil. I can't even say the title. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now, We Are Still Here. Now, this is a bit of a multiple hander, directed by Beck Cole, Chantal Burgoyne, Danielle McLean, Dana Curtis, Mario Goa, and Mickey Magaev-Siva, Renee Mahi, Richard Curtis, Tim Worrell, and Tracy Rigney. So a bit of an anthology film, <laughs> this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's about a thousand years of history. So they go across Australia, New Zealand, and the South Pacific and go from the distant past to the 19th century, the present day, and even into a dystopian future. So I thought that one might be very interesting to see in terms of a a broad-scope anthology. The supervising director is Beck Cole, who gave us uh, Black Comedy and Making Samson and Delilah back in the uh, 2009 myth. So a whole bunch of very interesting ideas to come across in this eight different tales and this was kind of oh bouncing off the 250th anniversary of james cook's discovery of australia quote unquote yes (laughs) yeah flashback against that all right so you won't be alone is a another film at this year's myth directed by goran stolevsky australian macedonian film director and screenwriter and you may also know about his other film, um, Of an Age, okay. which is the opening night gala for the okay. myth as well. Anyway, this is a, a gothic film, essentially. It takes place in the 19th century in a Macedonian village, uh-huh. and there's a, a woman who makes a deal with a witch, which always ends well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And essentially it's about shape-shifting and, you know, trying to come to terms with that. I kind of thought this was a very interesting idea for a film. Mm. It has Numi Rapace in it as well, although she's not playing the the witch, actually. Mm. So, you know, I think um, Terence Malick, mm-hmm. that kind of very, very evocative and spectacular kind of looking movie. Yep. Also exploring the, I guess in a way, you could almost say the supernatural human condition Mm, in this mm. one. So, you know, there's quite a few films this year at the MIFF. There's also one which I haven't heard much about yet, but it basically is an animated reimagining of the Diary of Anne Frank. Wow, that'll be interesting. The censored or uncensored version, I wonder. (laughs) Ah, yes. Well, there is that too, isn't there? So I thought that this was a an actual fascinating kind of idea for a film that you could actually take that and turn it into an animated one. It's the sort of thing that Miyazaki might do, actually. Mm-hmm. So, look, there's bound to be huge amounts of other films within the myth that we will be seeing this year. It's Myth 70 and kicks off in August. There is an online and an in-cinema component as well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is all to the good because, you know, when it shut down during the pandemic, 
the in-cinema part, then it becomes very much like the Zero-G's experience of the myth yeah. when we're all watching it online. That kind of takes away the specialness, doesn't it, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> for us? Yeah, it's nice to be back, the idea of going back to the cinema, getting the mood of myth and, yeah, those films you described starting to get me really excited. So I love the festival. Yeah. So it sounds like there'll be some really gnarly Zero-G-esque stuff for us to sink our teeth into, which is very very exciting. There literally are many things to sink teeth into. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, no, that yeah. sounds great. All right. Now, I thought that we might go out today eventually. Mm-hmm. With, I'm trying to think of David Bowie and his quite formidable cinematic career. Mm. And, and I've been in so many different things. So I have a Bowie track of the week we're going to pull out from the film Basquiat. I love Basquiat. From 1996? Yes. It's older than I thought it was. Mm. Julian Schnabel. Yeah. That's got an odd sort of cast in it. Well, I mean, it's got David Bowie playing Andy Warhol. Yes, it's an (laughs) epic cast, actually, because Gary Oldman, this is all, because I love that film, Gary Oldman, Jeffrey Wright plays Plays Basquiat himself. Um, And, yeah, Gary Oldman, if from memory, plays an artist in the film, a fictional one, I think, but an artist who is based on Julian Schnabel himself, the director of the film. And Dennis Hopper. Oh, yes. Christo- Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. W- William Defoe, Courtney Love, Tatum O'Neill, and it- Benicio Del Toro. Oh, I didn't. I forgot he was in it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool thing there. And... The, the track will play A Small Plot of Land is actually a written by David Bowie, Brian Eno, mm-hmm. Reeves Gabriels, Mike Garson, Erdell, Kizilkav and Stanley Campbell. And this was back in the 1990s, mid-90s, and available on the album Outside. This is a sort of an extended version of it for Zero G, A Small Plot of Land. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.